0: Good evening, listeners. Welcome to season three, episode three of Waiting for the Call Up. Recording coming live, well, not live, obviously, but coming for you Wednesday evening. Sitting
1: opposite the main man. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. We're not too bad. Virtually opposite again. Um, feel like we feel like we're coming coming out of, coming out of lockdown soon. So I'm excited. Um, actually, got a few like sports tickets on the go as well, which will be. Which will be cool, um, and just nice. yes, yeah, I've forgotten what it feels like to be at a live sport event. But obviously, we've been we've been enjoying the sport. Not so much from an England fan. It's been a it's been a poor week, right?
0: Yeah, I'm almost kind of pleased that like we weren't able to go to games because having been at any of the games this
1: weekend kind of a pretty pretty crap. But you know, we live and learn. Yeah, exactly that. I think you know we should just we should just delve straight into how our predictions are looking and, and try and get a couple of the the bad bits out of the way. So looking at the cricket, since we last recorded, England's sort of sub- subcontinent tour continues um, in terms of the cricket overall, but our test series has, has completed and that's where we did our prediction. Um, in the end, India ended up winning 3-1. I, I predicted a 2-1, India win. You picked the draw, very, very um, optimistically. Um, top wicket taker, Ash wins at the most at 32, which was actually pretty... Bloody impressive. That's probably about four in innings, isn't it? Um, yeah, that, yeah. He was bowling on the bloody outfield. Called this all, <laughs> yeah. We've had that <laughs> debate, haven't we? I had a stinker. I, ch- I chose Boomerab. And you and I don't know what I was thinking there. Just coming off a great Australia tour. Yeah. And, and you chose you chose Ashwin. So probably that won all there. Um, yeah. And then top run scorer. I had Joe Root. You had Pajara. Root ended up just scraping it by 20-ish runs. He scored about like, 350 or something like that um, runs across the series at an average of uh, 46, which is good. Good good news for you. I think we'll probably... He has... we'll... Sorry, go.
0: Sorry, does, does he have the highest average then?
1: Is that... No. So, right. because India won a few tests by an innings, Rohit Sharma actually had a better average, but just batted in less innings. But um, we'll probably have a little bit of a review of the cricket, um, slightly more in the news section. But actually, overall on this tour later on but a theme that keeps p- coming up both in, in all formats really is our reliance on on Joe Root really which is um, a yeah, shame absolutely. Um, moving on to Six Nations can't quite actually close these predictions out because of the whole postponed Scotland France game I'd um, best, just,
0: best just leave it
1: yeah I've both, both yeah. of us predicted England to top that and they've ended up finishing fifth so <laughs> that tells you how our predictions are going there Listen to us more in the cricket, maybe in future. And then on on the football, at the moment, our Premier League top fours are looking pretty much spot on. Yours particularly, Man City, Man United, Leicester, at the moment, Chelsea are in that top four. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, Liverpool aren't going to make it. I think we both caught that one out. Maybe I don't know. I can see, I can see any number of teams getting that top four. But someone like even Spurs, Chelsea, um, West Ham. Liverpool. Anyone can it. pip in there. It's going to be interesting. Everton. Um, and then Champions League. will come onto the draw shortly. But it is it is eyeing up to be a Bayern Munich City final, which we've both we've both plumped for. And the Euros. Well, England yeah. squad's been announced. So perhaps one to visit visit in the near future. But, but yeah, yeah, that's our predictions. Overall, showing that we know what we're bloody talking about. or <laughs> <Well>, not. <laughs> Be appalling. But anyway, I know you know we usually do our news roundup. Um so you usually touch on the main sports. I think, you know, we really really want to have a quick deep dive, I guess, into the Six Nations. It comes around once a year and it's a good time to sort of it's the most time when anyone actually ends up watching rugby, so it'll be it'll be a great time to have a deeper dive and assess and review into that. Um and also on the on sort of looking forward and how that all feeds into the, the Lions tour, which I think there's been some big news about, but um, should we should we start on the cricket um, to begin with?
0: Yeah, why not? I mean, it's, it's, it's still ongoing, isn't it? I mean, it feels like going to be playing cricket in Southeast Asia for about two years. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, as we said, as we said, lost the Test Series 3-1, um, you know, full of controversy. I think we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago, actually, didn't we? But, yeah. Um, then we then went to the T Twenty series, which I actually thought was pretty. ODI, Oh, yeah T oh,
1: yeah. Twenty, sorry. Twenty, yeah, 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 whoa, 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 whoa.
0: Uh, and we lost that three two. But I actually thought that was, and that was a big series because of the World Cup coming up in whoa, a couple November? Of
1: months, November, December time, I think. Okay,
0: so yeah, we lost three two, but I actually thought we had to play. But, I mean, India are good, um, and we we had some big run sheets. Like, in I think it tested us like there's some big run chases. Um
1: I think it's exactly that. It was one of those like the World Cup for people who don't know is gonna be in India. So it's great to actually play over in India. And then it's one of those where yeah, we only lost we actually only lost three, two. I find the T twenty sometimes a bit of lottery. Um, but it is it is about consistently consistently winning. So it would have been great to obviously win that series. But the fact um, the fact that we were missing a couple of players, in my opinion, we didn't yeah. sometimes play our, our full squad. And, um, yeah, I'm not too gutted at the end of the day about that series result. But I do want to see a couple of changes, which we'll probably come on to in another, in another episode when we review the, when we look forward to that World Cup.
0: Yeah. The ODIs just started yesterday. Yeah, yesterday it was, uh, on time of recording. Um, and we, we lost the first ODI, which is a bit of a joke, to be fair. India set us like 320 or something, pretty huge score actually to win. 310, I think. And um, yeah, we were 130 for none. Uh, and so there was one point when I was watching it where they were doing the comparison of the scores. India, after like 12 hours, was 49 for none. We were 110 for none. And we still lost. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we were well ahead of the rate. It's one of those where you say it was a mammoth chase, 320. I think it would have certainly been in like a tournament situation. I think we've yeah. been chasing down like 350s, 400s for the last five years, or at least three years. So it certainly felt doable, and it was sort of proven right when we were about 130 for nil. There's just a bit of a bottle, a bit of a collapse, and you don't really expect it from this England team. I guess one of the criticisms would be that they don't really adapt their gun approach once. When- even when they're in a strong position like that, which ultimately costs them. But I don't think any of us can sort of say they should change their mindset and hopefully they bounce back in terms of that. Because one of the interesting things about the series is so far is whoever wins the first game ends up losing the series. So hopefully that happens.
0: But yeah, that is um, is the cricket. Still ongoing. Look forward to, to hearing more. I didn't really yeah, exactly remember.
1: that. I think the only other thing we on the cricket briefly, just on. I don't know if we covered it on a previous podcast. Was I don't know if you saw the six sixes hit by. um oh, Yeah, we, we did, did. We did cover it. Yeah. yeah. So that, that there's also there is other sort of. It's just yeah, it's all, all one at the moment, but um yeah.
0: Yeah, real. Do you want to just touch on the football?
1: Yeah, let's, let's touch on the football. I mean, this. This last sort of couple of weeks, since we've lost in the pod, there's been European football finalised and sort of the draws, the draws for the next rounds of the Champions League and Europa Leagues have gone on. Main highlights from that are that no English teams drew against each other. So City and Chelsea, in my opinion, got favourable draws again. They've got Dortmund and Porto respectively, which means actually the winner of both of those games will play each other So there's a potential for a City-Chelsea semi-final. Um and then Bayern Munich pulled PSG, so repeat of last year's final, which I think will probably be the pick of the legs. That or Real Madrid versus Liverpool, both Real Madrid and Liverpool are sort of, out of sorts, um in their domestic league. So it's going to be yeah, all as always sort of in those draws is going to be great. I just think those those last two that sort of draw that side of the draw will be a lot more interesting. And you sort of sense to some degree Liverpool Liverpool season sort of is a little bit dependent on that now which we wouldn't have said this yeah. time
0: last year. They've got a good route, though. They've got, they've got a good chance of getting there. Because um, I think, actually, you sure you've got that right? I'm pretty sure it's... Liverpool would play Chelsea, but not City. City have to beat... Oh, yeah. Ball- right. like, yeah, Yeah, So, I think, you no, know, Liverpool have got a good little draw there. Real are doing pretty poorly, and then you have to be. I mean, Porto are a good side. Chelsea are also a good side. But, you know, you, yeah, in a shootout situation, you'd, you'd probably back Liverpool. So, yeah, yeah it's, big, it's a big... Um, Big three games for them.
1: Definitely. Um elsewhere, Europa League, your boys Arsenal went through.
0: Yeah, a good little draw as well, which is very nice. Um yeah, we beat Olympia Cross, which was a bit of a mad couple of legs to be fair, but um yeah, so just United Arsenal left and up from, from the from England and then other big names, got Ajax and Roma. So if United beat Granada, they play one of those and then hopefully get to the final. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful Arsenal have a bit of a shot here, to be fair. Yeah, I,
1: I was looking at the odds actually and Man United and Arsenal are the top two favourites. Um, okay. Arsenal got Slavia Prague. We should actually have a bit of a shout out to the howl of the week at Slavia Praha, who um, I don't actually know who's who, the name of the guy actually, but um, one of their players was basically accused of racial abuse and we'll, we'll come on to the um, old firm derby shortly, but um, yeah. it was it was, um it was, yeah, an awful piece of uh, footage to watch. Um, yeah, it's just crazy that that's, that's even happening. Um, but just briefly on Man United and Arsenal in that, both in sort of a similar situation in, in some regards. I know Man United have had a much better domestic season, but there's a lot of pressure, I feel, on going Gunnar Solskjaer to win a trophy. They've just recently knocked out of the um, yeah. FA Cup. So there's no silver on offer apart from Europa League option. And similar to Chelsea, um, similar to Liverpool um, for the Champions League, he sent Arsenal. with something out of this Europa League to just walk away or something from the season.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, in some ways, I think it'd be pretty unbelievable if Arsenal do win the Europa League and then we get into the Champions League next year, finishing like tenth in the Prem.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> a bit of a steal. But yeah, no, it is important, and I think yeah, that's the thing. Both teams, yeah, need you need some proof. After yeah. some it's all good saying you're rebuilding or you, you have rebuilt as United have but until you've won something the fans aren't going to be happy
1: exactly that and I feel I feel ultimately there's some there will be something coming next season in terms of um, a couple more signings a couple more players a bit more bedded in maybe get rid of some of the riffraff I just feel yeah positive signs that Manchester United need to really need to win something it's a bit like a bit like Klopp actually was probably five years ago, need to get a monkey off his back in terms of winning something as opposed to keep challenging. So, yeah, positive stuff happening with the English teams in European football. Um, north of the border, Rangers have won the Scottish Premiership for the first time in, phew, I don't actually know how many years. Ten, ten, ten years.
0: years? Well, yeah, well, Celtic were going to do ten years in a row, I think, weren't they? So, something like that. There was some crazy stuff. But, yeah, so ten, at least ten years.
1: Yeah, and I think we should just give a shout out to Scott Brown, the Celtic captain, for walking over um, to the to the range player who was racially abused, and just a great sign of sportsmanship. And just yeah, things bigger than football, I guess, which is, which is great to see. But yeah, elsewhere we are yeah Premier League sort of tick tocking along. We sort of know which teams are going to get relegated, which teams are going to get win yeah. win the title. Sorry, City look pretty comfortable. It's just that top four debate which we spoke about earlier. Yeah, but the big news. I wanted to say was zero positive COVID cases in the Premier yeah. League for the first time ever. That's the first time that's, that's happened, ripped. which is yeah, fantastic. Well, not the first that's time pretty. it's happened, but the first time it's happened since the pandemic. Yeah, first time, first time ever. Have they started vaccinating them yet?
0: I know there's been lots of talk about sports people getting vaccinated.
1: No, no, nah, not at all. So, yeah, I thought nice to win the football on that bit of good news as a little stat.
0: Very good news, man. Very good news um nice no, should we go on to should we should we should we dive straight into the rugby then let's should dive we...
1: straight in let's warm viewers now let's take like a little breather yeah
0: <laughs> so yeah i think we're, we're going to approach the news the next few weeks where we're going to focus on particularly important sports and obviously we need to look at what has happened in the past six to eight weeks in the six nations um I mean, as, as Liam says quite rightly, it's still going on. So Friday night, Scotland play France to see if France can indeed win the championship. Um, to do so, they would have to beat Scotland by 21 points and score four tries. So it's a little bit, Liam was reminding me off air, it's a little bit reminiscent of the England game uh, two, three years ago, um, whereas it it's you know 80-point game at the end to see who would win it. So who knows? But if Scotland win, then they would that would take them second. So that would be pretty big. But... Um, Yeah, it was, I think, a pretty unbelievable final weekend. Um, uh, Isley-Scotland was a good game. I thought Scotland played really well. And then um, England-Ireland was an absolute car crash if you're an England fan, but Ireland were class, so, you know, that is what it is. And then, I mean, France-Wales was one of the best games of rugby I've seen in a long time. Um, And I just, what I found amazing was just how many refereeing decisions there were. I think in that final, like, 20 minutes, they must have had, like, eight or nine like try reviews cards
1: like the whole game game felt like it just because there were actually so many tries and just talking points I think um yeah what I liked so much about the final weekend it wasn't actually a weekend it was just a day on Saturday just back to back it was just like you just wish you could be in a pub just smashing the beers um but it was um Yeah, as you say, the last game was Francie Wales, Wales going for the Grand Slam, France bidding to stay in with a shout and chance of, um, yeah, winning the championship themselves. And as you say, that last game, it just felt like that because of all those reasons, there was so much riding the line and you don't really want a match to be decided by a referee in decision. But ultimately, they are. are, But it didn't feel like a decision, a a wrong decision was made, which I thought was really good. And I think the best thing about it all, um, not the best thing about it was because they were English, but the, no, the best thing about it was because they actually, <laughs> um, they just communicated so well. It was actually just good to see, and like other sports need to just pick up on how clear they communicated their each of their decisions. I thought the TMO and the referee were great.
0: Also, they just know the rules so well. I mean, so Wayne Barnes was the TMO, and I'm going to forget the name of the referee now. But luke luke mm-hmm. pierce i was gonna say chris ridley but yeah luke pierce they both just know the rules inside out so like when there's a decision they just know exactly what to say so it was quite it was it was a really good example and it's it's nice not to be coming on here and saying oh well if that hadn't happened then they'd have won so but it all all's well that ends well if you're newman fan because wells didn't win the grand slams france got to try in the last minute to win the game by two points i think um but they will as we said probably still win the championship. And you know. You can make your minds up whether you think that's deserved or not,
1: but um, exactly. But on, on that, should we should we start with France and have a little deep yeah. dive into where we think France are at ahead of? Well, yeah, just after on a review of that
0: tournament. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they look dangerous, right? They've they they've used the last few years where they've not performed so well to blood some new players, and like some of them, are, they are just quality. I mean, they've got undoubtedly the best player in the world, Antoine Dupont at nine. Some of their forwards are just ridiculously big and they play this massive power game, but with this like real flare out the back. So, I, I don't know, I think they look really slick. And against England, that try they scored off the line out is just an example of like a team that's now very well drilled. France never used to be well drilled, but like their defense and their set piece, you're like, uh, they've really, really nailed it, in my opinion, from a playing perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. In, in the game for example at the weekend it was one of those where just because of there were so many tries it sort of fell under the radar but they tried to go into the league for the second time just a little chip over from their fullback. was actually one of the tries of the tournament It's so yeah. slick it looked so easy for them um, but as you say they've got these hu- this huge back row and this huge uh, front row that they just get front, front football all the time and allow the backs to play but yeah finally as, as you say they're just so well drilled for a change and um, their defense, you know, Sean, Sean Edwards. I think actually was reading he had a really tough week. I think his um, far his mother died. Sorry, um, on the on the day after the penultimate game, so that was had a week's preparation before the Wales game, mourning that loss. Um, but that's that's what's really helping helping them because it provides them with great structure, um, and they've all got these they've got these great great youth coming through as well from their under twenty ones. Under-20 World Cup win. But in terms of the World Cup, they're my, they're my favourites, I think. But in order for them to sort of go on and actually do well there, they need to work on a bit of their winning mentality ahead of them in the next two games. That will be, you know, they should have pro- probably beaten England at Twickenham. They should have probably beaten England at Twickenham in the Automations Cup. They should probably not have got themselves in a situation where they were leading twice against Wales to throw the game away almost and they still do stupid stuff like their player got sent off
0: this is my concern so i also think that they're up there for the world cup i think my two concerns are one have they peaked a bit early have they done an island where they're like the second best team in the world until the world cup and then it all comes down in flames goes up in flames um, and secondly when they're under pressure they go back to their old selves so at twickenham when we when england had them under pressure suddenly they start throwing the ball around again and doing silly things they didn't. They don't. They didn't do that against Ireland. They didn't do that against um, Italy. They didn't do that really against Wales. But they do. They did silly things, and they were really under the cosh. So I do kind of wonder. I wonder whether they they've got the temperament.
1: It's exactly that. I think just to make the comparison to Ireland, the one thing I'd say is they are still young. I think a lot of that Irish team just went into that World Cup a little bit ageing. But I certainly certainly agree. There is just something. It's just the mentality for me. Fantastic. So. But overall, a <laughs> great tournament. They can obviously end up, winning it? So. Watch yeah. this space. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Oh, no, should we move straight into Ireland then? I think... Um, yeah. F- f- for me, assessing Ireland was a bit like... I think both in our predictions, we both had Ireland finishing second. And ultimately, if it wasn't for one one bit of reckless play by Omani against Scotland, they could well be finishing second right now because they would have only lost one game against um, France. Right. Um, I think, yeah, they've always had a better campaign than their last... Their last tournament but it's a bit um it's a bit similar to sort of scotland in in my opinion whereby they've obviously improved since the last tournament um but they've just got nothing to nothing to show for it um whether that be whether, whether that be they've, they've certainly got new players coming through um that will probably make the lion squad burn being burn being one of them who's, who's had a great tournament but i just don't yeah i don't really know where they're at in terms of progression in, because i feel like a, l- a number of their team are still the team that was from 2019 the likes of murray sexton um standard to some degree um and earls just like i can probably name some more but i just wonder if they're just not really blooding any new fresh players and, and actually improving
0: no i agree and i was thinking i was just thinking today actually that they they feel miles away from like the paul o'connell or driscoll teams that won grand slams like, I can't see... <clears throat> I can't see... Uh, well, here we go. I'll put you in my hat next year. I can't see them winning a grand slap with that team. I don't know. They don't... Get, it's not. I know they've pumped England, but like, I just don't think they've got it. And I do think I do think you're right. And there are just a few players in there that are just hanging on a little bit. And yeah, they played well at the weekend, but look, it was CJ Sanders' last game. You're playing England. It was your last chance to get somebody out of the tournament and go for the Lions. Like, there was so much that was in their favour, motivation-wise. And I just... They were quite lucky to be in Scotland, therefore. They sh- maybe they shouldn't be in Wales, and then they got well beaten by France. So, yeah, it was an OK tournament, but I don't think the England result of the weekend should, you know, exaggerate where they're at. I think they've still got a lot of development to do. And yeah,
1: definitely. Still- I think we should, yeah, for the home nations, we were speaking off there about doing a quick, you know, winner, loser, and, yeah. you know, Lions pick for the home nations of the, you know, of the, um, of the home nation teams. For Ireland, I would go. Winner um, would probably be the coach, Andy Farrell, just because he's, he's bought himself a little bit more time, yeah, 100%. especially in his last, his last sort of two, three results, um, taking the pressure off himself and allowing him to sort of work on some things in the background. Loser, loser is a bit is, is a bit tricky to be honest with you because there's no, I don't think there's a there's sort of a stand there's a standout loser in um, in my eyes. Peter um, Romani. <laughs> yeah, probably Peter O'Malley's a great shot, actually. Obviously, yeah. a stinker against Scotland getting sent off. Bit, bit aging, hasn't started that many games, and therefore isn't really bad. looking like he'll get himself into the Lions setup. up Great shot. Um, yeah. And then Lions pick for me, as I mentioned earlier, would have to be Burn. I think he really chucked himself in the mix to start that lock alongside a Tojo Alan Wynn.
0: Yeah, well, it, it's disrupted that, though, which is interesting because, yeah, I'd have said it was, well, I didn't think Alamund would make it, but he's played really well. So, in my head, it was Alamund and Itoji. But Burn, now Ty Byrne's really thrown something in there and said, wait a minute, you've got to pick me ahead of one of them, which actually, I think you probably do. I don't know who you don't pick there. So, yeah, no, he, he was quality. Absolutely. And also, I mean, yeah, he, James Ryan got injured, didn't he? I can't remember what game that was in now. And so yeah, to-
1: and that's another point because Ryan would have been in with a shout for the Lions as well. So, it's, it's cool. great, yeah. But that, that, I think that's a that's a good good little assessment of um of Ireland. Should we, should we move briefly on to Scotland and then move on to potentially the two big ones in Wales and England?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I can kick off Scotland. I mean, I, I was trying to think about this. I really can't think about where Scotland are in terms of their development. Obviously, dramatically, they've improved dramatically over the last. You have to take quite a long view over the last like a five, six, seven years for sure. But they, if you actually look at their tournament, they lose on Friday okay, they beat Italy, fine, and they beat in England, fine. Now, that is a big game and it was a token and it was huge. Don't get me wrong. But, Scotland have done this in the past, and the only reason they finished above England is because England have been awful. So, it's like, what this, it's just, again, it goes back to the two victories for Scotland. It's like, you win it, you beat Italy, and then you get one more against one of those, you know, one of the other teams, which they probably do most years. So, it, it, what, I mean, what is a good year? That Some players have come through and they're really good, but, again, kind of like the France thing about the winning mentality, but from a different point of view, still not winning the big games, and you know they lost to Wales by what two points? Ireland by a handful of points. You need like it doesn't matter.
1: They, they won, you know, it's exactly that for me. I think um, with Scotland, they, too often the, the analysis of a good Six Nations is dependent on their result against England, whether they win the Calcutta Cup or not, which yeah. is a little bit um, small-minded, in my opinion. You should be. You, you mentioned there they turn up in the big They don't turn up in the big games. They do turn up against England, which is their, their sort of big game. But actually, they beat England. They've got to just follow it up and actually win in a, in a sort of title big game against um, against Wales or Ireland. And they just haven't done that. Um, but as you say, actually, it's all really dependent on Friday night. But for me, I just can't see them, them winning. If they do win, it'll be the first time they'll finish second in the Six Nations for... Or at least they'll be their best finisher in the Six Nations, i.e. finished second in twenty two years. And the last time so nineteen ninety nine they actually won won the five nations. So yeah, it's 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 a really tough one to sort of get a parameter on how um well Scotland are performing. I think one one sort of metric you could use is how many lions Lions they'd probably make up. And I think in the last Lions thought they made up absolutely none. Now there's now there's a case you you could at least have Two or three, depending on who your coach, depending on who the coach is, you, you'd argue someone even like Russell would be the best standoff to start. I know that's an unpopular opinion with you, but <laughs> no, yeah, I think th- that's a, that's a good like sort of barometer of, of how they've improved. Like they've got they've got more individual players who are worthy of that call up.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. I definitely agree. Um, that's I hadn't thought about like that. It's a very good way of looking at it. I mean, at the end of the day, I think. To sum it up, gone. I mean, they, they have got a lot better. They're playing really good rugby. They have got some really good players in good positions, like you know, Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell are two of the best players in the world. So that's quality. It's just how do you you know, change that mentality where beating England at Swickendom, isn't your World Cup final? Because the emotional energy they'll have wasted, not wasted, obviously, it's no waste, but they'll have spent on that victory, no doubt will
1: have tied them out. There should so be you- playing like that every game. There should It'd be no be reason you should just turn up against England. There should be... Yeah. They've always got this thing about Ireland, but they rarely really just beat on and Wales, and that's where they end up losing out.
0: Exactly. The, the, only, sorry, the only quick problem I think they do have is they do tend to get physically bullied. So they got absolutely bullied against Ireland, which is, yeah, that's not a great place to be an in international review right now, I don't think. But yeah, apart from that, I think they look pretty good.
1: Just... Yeah, I know what you mean. There's just they sometimes lack a bit of ballast. I think their back row yeah, is pretty, right. pretty sick these days. But yeah, I don't know what you mean. So for me, going to go, lions pick's obvious, right? You just go, you shoot hold all day long. He's your, he's your main one. There's probably a few outside shouts that perhaps you can, you can call up. For me, best, best winners is a bit tough. I think I know he was out of the recent game. But for me, actually, you think back to last year, Finn Russell, out of, out of favour with um, the coach, yeah. completely sort of not playing at all, has actually had a great tournament, but not done anything ridiculously flary or funky. Him or um, Hamish Watson for me. And losers actually... Just b- b- Win- yeah,
0: I, I actually threw Hugh Jones in there, which is a bit of a rogue shout, but he was absolutely out of the reckoning. And then he's come in and played, I can't remember now who he's actually played against, but he's played really, really well off the bench. And I think he'll start on, on Friday. So anyway. Yeah, I played
1: well against Italy, didn't he? I? I think there'll be, um, it's, it's really tough to think of a like a, a loser for me. I'm just going to go off recent, recent, briefly touch on Friday's game. And the situation there is quite quite funny because English premiership can sort of, have reached an agreement with the Scottish Rugby Union that only five players are allowed to be picked. And I think, therefore, one of the losers is the guy who hasn't been picked, which is Sean Maitland. Because <laughs> I saw a tweet saying that he's potentially in for like playing for a Lions jersey. I think that's a bit far fetched. But ultimately, he had a fairly solid tournament and he's been yeah. robbed of the last game. So that's yeah. the only thing I can think of. I'm,
0: he's going back to the Champo as well to play which is just jokes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Not even I'm going about to the the whole thing quite, quite ridiculous. I'd love France to put a stunt like, Racing not allow Finn Russell to go, or something like that.
0: <laughs> that would be great. It's a shame, though. I hate it when there's when the politics comes into it. It's like, come on, we're here to into again.
1: Definitely.
0: Uh, that's Scotland. What about the Welsh then? So near, but so far. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I love it. Well, well, as you say, I think that at, at the end of the day, they still end up winning the tournament. So it's actually been a fantastic tournament for them. Uh, I don't think yeah. Eva's gave them a chance.
0: No, I mean, to be, yeah, to be fair, I think we do, we do owe the nation of Wales and and Jones massive apologies uh, for being probably really quite rude. I mean, I don't really want to listen back to that podcast. But probably, <laughs> probably quite rude about Allerman Jones. I definitely was. I mean, they, so the way I think about this, they are the opposite of uh, Scotland, where Wales, I don't think, ever actually played Fantastically well, they did play quite well, but they just won games, and that is all that bloody matters at the end of the day. That's all. Um, we ever do. It, yeah, it's true, but it, it works. They're tough to beat, like really tough to beat. Um, it was, a, it's a, almost a bit vicious, I mean, it's their tournament is coloured a little bit with some pretty interesting refereeing decisions, and I'm, I'm loving the chat that's going around where you have they have to. They're, they're, they're intentionally getting players carded, which I love. Um, yeah
1: so some, there's, there's always that band that their best player was i.e. the red card um, yeah. and I think yeah for me they had a great they obviously had a great time but as you say it, would, it wouldn't have felt right if they won the Grand Slam because there wouldn't have just been that cloud over how they won it just wouldn't have felt right if they, they weren't Grand Slam winning something um, and that's right. not just sour grapes I just genuinely don't think they were um, and eventually they got found out which I'm pleased they did
0: same same but to look at some kind of more individual performances, um, as I said, Alamon Jones looked quality again and just like winds back the years as he goes. I mean, he could play—he could play an unassailable number of Test matches. Nobody, I don't think anybody will ever play as many as he's played but it, it, because he's—he's he's still good for another couple of years, I reckon. Yeah. Um, so Um, we talk about succession. We can talk about succession planning in a minute, but uh, he looked—he looked awesome. I also thought like Navidi and Tipperick and their back row, Falatal. They looked back to their like nearly Lions best, which was like good to see, I guess. Um, and then in the backs, I mean, you could throw those names on the ground and and you'd like you'd be like, Oh well, they're okay. they you know, they've not played for a while. But like uh, George North, I thought he was unreal at thirteen. Um, to be fair to him. Not a big fan of him either, but they played really well. And the big find of the tournament was like Louis Rizamet
1: for sure. Um,
0: Eddie must be sitting there thinking what was I doing not picking him
1: yeah I mean it does sound to me though like he yeah. has got quite a bit of Welsh history, and yeah. uh, and it, it sounds to me like he was actually choosing Wales as opposed to like being a case where he wasn't getting for England so he's just going to play for yeah. Wales and that was we should quickly come on to the moment of you know the sport or the week in terms of rugby and sport was the lewis reese trial, try which was an unbelievable finish just being disallowed um yeah. quite rightfully but this lads just brushed the the whitewash yeah. um which was which was a shame but it, if that didn't happen they were going to win the win the six win the grand slam and the six nations um, but yeah i i am totally with you on all of those players with wales for me it's sort of like have they since the gatlin years and just before the world cup because they were world cup semi finalists have they really again have they really moved on They've just got the same... I know Lewis Riesemmett is is probably the main change, but a lot of their team is exactly the same. There's been a couple of good finds, and I admit in terms of Wynne Jones um, and Lewis Riesemmett, but all those names that you mentioned, Bigger, Jonathan Davis, George North, um, Alan Wynne Jones, have been a grandstand winners before. I don't know if there's anyone coming through. Basically, I'm just a bit worried in the year... Come the World Cup, sorry, none of those players... We'll, 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 all those players will be just a
0: little bit too old. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to see is isn't it? It's, it's really difficult. I mean, I think they're an example of just how rugby teams don't, and England are the same. They don't develop in a straight line. You don't just kind of get better and better and better and better and better. You know, it's all a wave, isn't it? And the, a yeah. big wave. And that's what Wales had. You know, they struggled in the. They did really well in the World Cup and struggled since. And then now they're back on some form again. And you know. When, you, when you've got, I think it's a lot of it is like having a streak of people fit, the right people fit and playing well. And that helps, helps so much. But yeah, I, I do agree. I don't, there are a bit, I say this to my flatmate, they are in a bit of a situation because yeah, the team's great at the moment. But like, do you really rely on Alvin Jones for 18 minutes for the next two years? Because then after that, what do you do? Like he mm-hmm. has to rely on at some point. Um, yeah,
1: definitely. I think, um, what, was the, what was the sort of chat you were saying about them, we're trying to get players you know, like, oh, is that all just a bit of gas or not because I, I, I was actually watching the game on um, Saturday and it's actually the same with Wales a lot of the time and good teams do it South Africa did it to us in the World Cup final Is on their 5 metre they were quite sly about when they were giving away penalties um, on their 5 metre and there was an advantage to be played they didn't really let the team use that advantage to try and score a try they just completely would just give the penalty away and hold it um, and eventually, they actually got found out against France. They obviously got two sim bins in the last 10 minutes. But they're very part of their whole dominance in terms of winning games and being smart by winning and this winning mentality of grinding out results is due to the way they play referees. So I don't know what you sort of meant by that. I don't
0: know. Well, I'll just oh no, no, just I just saw some kind of chat around social media where they were, you know, they try and get people red carded, but. I think that's what Gaultier said, wasn't it? Um, with Wyn Jones diving, apparently, when he got eye gouged, <laughs> uh, I thought it was absolute jokes. I do think that. Uh, so, obviously, the referees were really good, uh, Wales, France, and I don't take anything away from them. But I think the way they behaved, they were very lucky, actually, not to have a yellow card earlier. And I think the fact that there was so much else going on in the game meant the referees were focused elsewhere. Because doing that, if that was England. if That was Myraotogi, not to, to be not to be a sore loser. He would have been yellow carded way before Wales had a yellow card, like one
1: hundred percent. Yeah, he eventually so I, call up with them, which I was pleased.
0: Yeah, but like the narrative of the tournament is important. Like England was seen as the team that was committing the most penalties, which we did in record numbers. Therefore, referees are looking for you. Wales, disciplined team, not looking for it. But when they do the same thing. Which is do those commit these players. There's an advantage. It's cynical to stop the advantage of being played. Yeah, That's
1: it's, it's, um, it's a little... skill, isn't it? It's a it skill. Is. I'm am to- totally with you. Some of the calls against England, as you say, were I mean, there's one against Farrell on the weekend. sour grapes again, but it's just a bit like I've never really seen those given, and it yeah. just becomes a bit like you look you're looking for it to penalise as opposed to seeing the game out as you as you see fit. Um, but yeah, well, one just briefly touched on the officials again, just one thing I love to see is so often, and New Zealand sort of used to be so annoying for it, is when there's like three minutes or four minutes left on the clock, is teams just holding the ball, which is what you should be doing, back yourself. But doing it so sort of illegally, i.e. just picking and going and just falling over your player, yeah. i.e. known as sealing off. And Wales were in the process of doing that against France and it was great to see a referee who was actually making sure teams recycling the ball quickly like counting them down from 5-4-3-2-1 and actually just called a big call against Wales for doing that and it just in the end it resulted in a great finish on a game that would have been otherwise just petered out I just wanted to give that a shout out
0: No, I actually would give that a shout out for the whole tournament the referees were way 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 better than that this year even when the attacking team is going forward and they just fall over that was a penalty yeah. And it was annoying because you were like, that's such a joke. But, like, it's it's really good red They've obviously tightened up on that.
1: Yeah. Way well, then the big one. Oh, no, sorry. We should quickly go winner, a, win a loser. Irons pick there, then. Um, do you want to start? <laughs> Very <laughs> Winner, Wayne,
0: uh, Wayne Pivak. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like Andy Farrell's kind of saves his job.
1: Yeah, exactly that. He's under immense pressure in the... Autumn, and actually just 2020 in general. They've had a shock in 2020. Oh, and actually, all these big players we mentioned earlier, it's all the, it's all the big hitters that stepped up yeah. uh, and kept them in it. So, yeah, definitely won't do up. And then loser. Loser's really tough for Wales, isn't it? Because yeah, none, none of them really... I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like a player who might have missed out. Who's the pre? Huh? Dan Liddy. Yeah. Dan yeah. Liddy did
0: like the, 25th, the, first, like the first 25 minutes of the whole championship and probably a career-ender as well.
1: Pretty sad. No. He didn't didn't he a winger before Lewis reece So I was basically to think of him because he's, he's basically not going to get back in, is he? Well, was it not Liam Williams? and then was oh, Cuthbert. Cu- 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 was it not Cuthbert? Oh, Lee Halfpenny, yeah. Halfpenny at full-back and
0: then you had Liam Williams on the wing. Yeah. I'm oh, glad they got rid of Halfpenny because he's crap now.
1: Not a very good rubber player at all. Level one. Also what? means he won't get in the lines. yeah. And then Lions Ly- pick for me, I mean... You can talk about pretty much so many, but there's so many, as I said, there's so many dead certs in terms of like Jonathan Davies is probably a shoo-in. Um, yeah. Liam Williams is probably a shoo-in. I know he got uh, Sinbin. But for me, I think Fallatau, you forget he scored an yeah, unreal yeah. try against New Zealand and he just has to start for me, especially when we come on to England shortly and talk about some of the losers there yeah agreed agreed no sounds good are we gonna i've just realized
0: that we we said we weren't gonna do this in the build-up and we've done it are we gonna not talk way to the
1: well we we will come on to this at the end as a quick pass yeah <laughs> all right then. yeah i was gonna say we said t- we made a note didn't we and i was like yeah. we're not about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's go one. let's go
0: england 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 okay ah not a great not a great campaign no no really two ways about it First time ever in a Six Nations that we've lost, we've won the Triple Spoon, but we've lost to all the Triple Crown nations. It's never happened. Yeah. Before.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the, last, the last time we actually done that, though, was even in, like, in Five Nations times, was it still like 1976. So we're talking 50 years.
0: Uh, bad, bad, times. However, I'm going to be positive about it because, you know, just read Eddie's book. I'm all <laughs> you know, just a bit arrogant. I actually think if you unpack it, it's not a catastrophe. Um These things happen, and in some ways, it just you know you've got to have these experiences, and it's good for the team. But if you look at the games themselves, we were well beaten against Scotland for sure. But I mean, the mistake was made before we even got on the pitch, which was picking all the Saracens players. So that was we were well yeah.
1: beaten, but also the scoreline wasn't well beaten.
0: No, we stayed in that game. It was it was a horrid kind of game, but you know mm-hmm. it's one of those, and it was it was it was poor. It was poor, but. These, these things do happen again not making excuses but these things do happen and then you've got the Wales game again the scoreline flatters then massively um, and again not to be the sore loser but we did concede two tries we shouldn't conceded um, and got back from those to be fair but the, the, the emotional and physical energy it takes to get back from that is not great um, and it really takes a toll so blame the ref blame the ref mate. it's all about the ref Um and then France, we're back, to old, we're back to old times. And it's like, oh, well, here we go. This is, this is what we did in the World Cup. This is what we did against New Zealand. This is, this is us. Um, and that was really good. Why we do this all the time? Why does it take the big games to get fired up? Uh, and then, I mean, Ireland, there is no excuse. We were, we were crap, to be honest. And actually, I do think that was the most worrying game. Because, as I said, there are sort of excuses. Or you can see why things happened in the first two games. But, I mean, we were poor against Ireland. They bullied us. And we bullied them in the past. And they bullied us guess the only thing to say is that they were probably really, really motivated with it being St. Patrick's Day, CJ Stander retired. You know, there were things in their favour, but, you know...
1: I think I um, was yeah, Ireland would definitely do a win, but it, I think that's great. great to hear, actually. It's a, bit, it's a bit more refreshing than some of the stuff you sort of read at the moment about England rugby um, and about how it's all doom and gloom. I think me and you spoke off-air about it. It's just, it's really frustrating to see... One week, us being labelled, you know, back to our best. Eddie Jones is a genius just because we beat France at home. Ultimately, we won the Six Nations last year. We won the Autumn awesome Nations Cup. Um, I know that's a bit of a throw, throwaway comment, but we did win both of those things. Yeah. Got to the semi, got to the final of the 2019 Rugby World Cup um, and we just had a stinking year this year. Um, I think I think I'll take the last five years under Eddie Jones than the previous five years under Stuart Lancaster, where we basically didn't win a single Six Nations, let alone a Grand Slam, and got knocked out in the group stage of our home World Cup. I think people have got a bit short memories when it, when it comes to that. I think the main worry for me, as you say, was the Ireland game, but also the fact that the same mistake seems to be picking up. So I think about how we peaked. We peaked in the New Zealand game, but in the yeah. final... We, 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 we made the same mistakes we basically made against Ireland. Like our scrum was going pretty pretty much terribly in the in the South Africa game and it went terribly in the Ireland game and we didn't really have a sort of plan B to sort of be like, let's stop doing silly mistakes and giving away free kicks that will result in scrums and scrum penalties. Discipline, again, it's the same old thing. I'm not saying anything new here, but it's also just like the plan B, the attack, there's never seemed to, Those are the sort of three areas that I really want us to improve on. I think the defence will come back to its its best when Eddie freshens up to the coaching stuff, but it, that's the that's my main worry. I'm not worried of all like I'm not one of these play, people who's gonna say we need to take Billy Vinopo out of the team. We need to take this, these players out of the team. I just think we need to have like a holistic look and just be like let's increase competition for places and maybe yeah. change a couple of coaches around.
0: No, I agree. I think defense is actually I, I often think at that level defense is just a confidence thing. And if you're not playing well, you're gonna defend badly. That is just kind of how it is. I think it, they kind of go hand in hand. So yeah, that will come back and John Mitchell's quality. But I think this, you're right, I had not mentioned that. The scrum was very concerning. Um, we got pasted by Ireland, like absolutely pasted. Um, and they, they have said, I've been reading that they think that it's like a Mako problem because it was his sort of his problem in the World Cup as well, where teams like don't push as hard against him, if that makes sense, which means that he brings such intensity to the hit that it looks like he's pushing before the ball's in. And that's what we kept being pinged for.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: it is quite clever, but I mean, he's got to solve that. I mean, we've got to solve that. Like, we we're too good. We're, we're too good at scrummaging to get caught out like that.
1: Um, yeah. So in terms of changes, I mean, as I said, I'd only just look to like have a couple more. Well, I think we've missed Steve Borthwick. I think um, the other thing yeah. I would look to change would be. I think we have to have a bit of a long-term solution to this Ford and Farrell debate. We really need like a long term without two-laying in the team. I think Slade has to start. I'm a big fan of Slade, but I think without two-laying in the team, we need to have a crash ball twelve. And then you have to make a decision on whether it's Ford or Farrell. And I, I'm not actually scared to say you know Farrell can go. And I know he's your captain, you can you can you could start. I'm not necessarily saying start forward, but I just think a decision needs to be made over who we're going to have at twelve because that's my main concern. Is sort of our when our forwards do the do the bits, we don't actually ever have a twelve to.
0: Yeah, no, it's
1: <laughs> that's my main concern.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I my view on Farrell is that it's a little bit like cricket, where like you know you get a couple of good balls, you play shit, your confidence goes down, you play crap for a bit, and then you come back. I mean, the guys played like nearly ninety times, like eighty times. Bring them now, I think. You know, he, I think he'll come back better than ever. Um, I think what they need to do is take the captaincy off, him. that's my my view. Just take the pressure off him. Let him play. He loves the game. He gives it his all, and I don't. I don't know about this Ford-Farrell thing. I think we play well when we're Ford-Farrell. I, I think we need to stick with that because I think if we go back to playing traditional game 12, ball playing 13 and Ford or Farrell, I just don't know how... Without Tulangi, that doesn't work, in my opinion. And he's, he's not going to come back.
1: But that's my but who do you I mean, do you really see us playing Ford and Farrell in France in 2023?
0: Probably not. But then if we smash the Awesome test in the next Six Nations, then you'd say yes. It's a My, really, yeah,
1: I think it would just be great to see someone like Ollie Lawrence play more often. I know he's not necessarily. I, I don't know think he's, think he's a solution, so. but I want to see. I want to see a situation where you where you have the feral to Tulangi Slade, but without Tulangi. I don't know if that's possible. You're saying. Yeah, it's
0: not. I you. well, I just I just think Tulangi is probably the best player in the world to have never played enough rugby.
1: Mm. I,
0: on his day, you just, he's just he's just He's just he's just unbelievable. I just don't think you can find something like him, especially in England. Like we don't breed people
1: like that. So we're basically yeah, we're basically saying no, no panic with England yet. But biggest, biggest winner from England stuff. I think again, it's going to be the same sort of crop of players who have actually played quite well for England over the last five years. So like Itoje, I know he had a poor discipline, um, t- tournament discipline wise. Sorry, but he he's still sort of a shoe in for the Lions. I think Tom Curry had a great had a great tournament. Even when England played badly, he played well. Um and then players like Watson and May probably under the radar played quite played quite well. Um but I'd probably have to give it to Tom Curry if I had to choose a winner.
0: Hundred percent, Tom Curry, hundred percent. Thought he was um yeah, thought he was unreal. He should be captain in my, in my opinion. But...
1: Yeah, for England, yeah, I agree. I think um in terms of losers, I'm not gonna give it to to Eddie Jones. I think I'll have to give it to to a couple of potentially the Saracens lot, and a couple of the old guard, I think I'd choose someone like Elliot Daly, someone, I know he's an easy pick, and someone like Ben Youngs who actually had quite a poor, yeah. quite a poor yeah. tournament, and they're just sort of a bit past it, and there is actually competition for those places, so I can sort of, um, I think they've had, they've actually haven't really impressed, and I can see them being the ones that could be axed for sort of tours of the USA or whatnot.
0: Yeah, know my, my loser is, uh, is actually Paolo Adogui, who uh, was in the England squad, for eight weeks and has played zero rugby Yeah, uh, um, he's, a, he's the loser because he's also Wasp's best player and we've now lost we lost three or four games in a row when he was away
1: what um,
0: is he? what was that? is he 12? he plays anywhere but he plays normally on the wing wing okay. or yeah and uh, yeah didn't even play him against, against Italy so he's sat in a covid secure bubble for eight weeks shout out <laughs> Got paid, yeah. He has got paid twenty grand a game to do it, so it's not too bad, but it's still. <laughs>
1: it's and then much. yeah, Lions pick, I mean, I think we've just already mentioned them. Um like, it's one of those actually, we sort of spoke about it earlier, but after the France game you were saying you probably picked five or six English players. Well, I mean, I certainly was. I was certainly picking Farrell, Curry, Atojay. I think Bunker yeah, yeah. was playing, I'd be picking him. I think I'd probably be picking Carl Sinclair and then Anthony Watson, and there's your six. All of a sudden, we're talking about, well, maybe not even Maro gets picked, but I think one person you, again, have to probably pick, and it's probably a double-up, would be Curry.
0: Yeah, I agree. I completely agree.
1: Well, that's it, then. Well, we'll quickly touch on Italy. Another oh, shite a- sh- sh- tournament. We should. I think we've said it before, but we definitely need, in my opinion, definitely need to see a, a mini-playoff between Georgia and Italy in terms of... Um,
0: Get me an away day to Tbilisi. That's what I want. I want to go England, Georgia, away into Tbilisi. I bet that'll be an absolute massive weekend.
1: Mate, I think Georgia's lovely. So give I'll, I'll get, get myself out there.
0: I've heard. Get me out there some Georgian wine.
1: Nice. That's yeah, had. that's pretty much the Six Nations deep dive. I think we could touch on the lines, but I think we've touched on it throughout. So we and we can probably come up come up to it. Do another one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. close to the summer of 15 but I know you had a bit of cycling
0: news you wanted to touch on oh well this is just a segue into, into the myth um, but yeah it was a, a good so I had a great weekend of sport Watched the cycling then watched the rugby but yeah there was a first of the monuments which are the big one day races in Italy um, it was 300 kilometers they rode for six and a half hours would have taken me I reckon 12 hours potentially double double the time um, and Jasper Stuyven, who was a complete road man uh, won it you'd have got odds of 120 to 1 on him to win I think uh, yeah. he was so on great.
1: drugs as we'll come on to shortly
0: definitely definitely on them but no it was a really good race worth worth watching the, the highlights of Milan San Remo if people are interested but
1: yeah, yeah.
0: that leads us on nicely to the myth
1: brilliant so that's the news wrap up and then this week we'll also be debunking myth number 2 this, uh, this week we're looking at drugs in sport and whether cycling and athletics are um on the cheats yeah our cheats basically do they all dope um see what i see about that so that brings us on to today's myth which is drugs in sport specifically sort of cycling and athletics i think i i think we sort of came up with the idea both of us i know you're a massive cycling fan and i've just got onto got into the cycling as well but i, I was watching in lockdown on two or one was it now? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah. the documentary like Lance, which was American one, which the BBC ended up showing. And I just found it like ma- massively eye opening because I think to someone like me, who doesn't know too much about the sport of cycling and actually doesn't know too much about athletics or in, in things like that in general, so often you're just like, "Oh, Usain Bolt must be on drugs. Mo Farah, he's on drugs. Um, what's the point? Much in the Tour de France, they're all they're all they're all dopers, and that's quite like a, a salient myth that is in in mainstream media circulation. So I just thought it'd be a great idea for us to just delve into the history of um, drugs in in those sports and sport in general, and see you know why is there a focus on cycling and athletics? And actually, is it the case?
0: Absolutely, no, absolutely. So yeah, let's kick off with a bit of, a bit of the history then. Um, so, yeah, a lot of this is based, as you say, on the Olympics um, and, and cycling, given that's where most of the testing happens and where most of the doping has occurred historically. But the first known occurrence in the Olympics was in the 1904 Summer Olympics in St. Louis in the, in the US. An American marathon called Tom Hicks took small bits of, I don't actually know how to say it, but stri- strychnine I think it's used how you say it, um, which is actually a pesticide, um and he had that with a brandy and egg white at mile 22 in
1: the olympic marathon it's time, that,
0: isn't it? Is, a, that is a. i don't know what they'd call that one kiss of death probably because he had to be revived by four medics at the end but he won and he kept his medal um but the first one i could find outside the Olympics was in 1886 a welsh a welsh cyclist died um in the bordeaux to paris race which I can't remember how long it was, but I've looked it up. It was a ridiculous length. After drinking a cocktail of caffeine, cocaine, and this trichinine again. So he's known as the first death from doping. Um, but the Tour de France started in 1903. So I reckon that 1904 Olympics one is rubbish because they must have been happening before, before that. But there are some kind of quite funny ones out there which you might not think is doping, which happened back in the day. So the 1920 Olympics in Antwerp, an American swimmer, uh, oh no sorry American runner sorry Charlie Paddock uh drank a sherry with raw eggs before the 100 meter final still won it and gains and what's that
1: protein gains mate <laughs> yeah
0: with a bit of sherry just take the edge off but he won it and he kept his medal as well so you know people are getting away with it left right and center but it's not necessarily what you'd have think you'd have thought was doping um compared to what we know now um but things got a bit more serious in 1927 when Fred Koch, who was a um, scientist at the University of Chicago, came up with the idea of isolating testosterone from bulls. So he basically took their balls and like took testosterone out. Some mad experiment. So that was when people started becoming aware that you could do this. And it, but it wasn't until 1935 when a Yugoslavian scientist actually invented synthetic testosterone. So this was when they'd actually finally realized kind of sports science had probably been created around then, and, and then they realized they could actually dope, you know, not just through taking drugs and as in taking what we would now call recreational drugs um, and drinking, and they could actually do it, you know, through synthetic synthetic means. So it was actually only in the 1920s and 30s that physicians and scientists became concerned with doping in sport. And that was actually driven, not necessarily because it made it unfair, but because sport really grew as a means of entertainment in that time um and lots more people were aware of sports it was setting a bad example to people was was how they how they thought of it
1: i'm actually quite surprised it's that it's that long ago like is early. yeah i thought i thought that was it early. feels yeah it feels early 20s 30s i was thinking 80s 90s um certainly tour de france wise but that's yeah it's crazy
0: well i'm glad you say that because actually the fact that they were interested in it does not mean they did anything about it. And the IOC, the International Olympic Commission, actually agreed not to become involved in questions of of science in 1948. So they, they created what was called the International Federation of Sports Medicine, which looked after it. And they, they said there would be, well, they basically didn't do anything for 20 years. And there was no testing for drugs until the 1968 Games in Mexico City. So, yeah, they were interested in it, but they weren't doing a whole lot about it. So the, basically, the 1950s became an absolute cowboy period where because synthetic testosterone was now a thing, anabolic steroids were just everywhere. Uh, and the US and Russia particularly did this with weightlifters. Um, and medical associations didn't actually punish any of this because they didn't see the drugs as that bad. I think they all thought it was a kind of a human experiment. Um, and athletes were even told explicitly that whilst they should not be doing this, there was no threat of sanction. So if you were an athlete... You may, well, you may as well do it. Anyway, 1968 comes along and they start actually testing athletes for it. Um, and then you enter a kind of more difficult period. which I think more people are familiar with um, in sport, which is like your kind of eight, 70s, 80s, and 90s sort of thing, which are some really big cases. Um, one of the most famous, obviously, was um, the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow, um, where... Um, one Australian study actually said there is no, there are no medal winners at this Olympic Games. They're all just drugs cheats, and it actually became they said it should become known as the Chemists Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually it was revealed that they had fully planned a steroid program for the 1980 and 1984 Games, and even KGB officers posed as test like drug testers from the International Olympic Committee. So this this was kind of like peak. I think when we think of when I think of doping, anyway, this is like peak time, peak. and it's just it's just you know there's testing happening but there's this state-sponsored cheating
1: yeah uh, in the cold war there's still state-sponsored cheating going on with the russians now isn't there i mean we'll, well come we with still, that later it's
0: exactly it. it's exactly it but then big known incidents i kind of think after that, that really stick in my memory um is ben johnson in 1988 which i don't really know actually too much about you probably know more me about that. yeah just
1: well just canadian sprinter who's like had one of the fastest times up until well up until bolt really uh, and then his his time obviously doesn't count because he he's a doper um yeah back in
0: 1988 yeah then you've also got for the british british fans obviously olympic christie 1999 interestingly i found that this meant that he wasn't allowed to be involved in any of the 2012 Olympic organisation because he was a convicted drugs cheat, which I thought was quite interesting. He still claims he's not guilty though, despite registering the highest levels of nandrolone, which is an anabolic se- steroid, ever measured in a human. Uh, so yeah, I think we'll we'll, we'll take that one away then. Um, and then I think the most famous one in my memory, anyway, is Tyson Gay in 2012. Um, he was found guilty of drug cheats, and then. Um, came back to competitive sprinting in the last couple of years,
1: actually. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's that interesting was, when that. you see now, certainly more of a recent thing, is athletes getting banned and then coming back. What I think is, just, is mad is that history just shows how like the evolution of the drugs that these guys take um, evolves. And I think one of the conclusions we'll come on to is how it will continue to evolve. And it's just dependent on, on how we can go about detecting it. But the sort of types of drugs, as you say, you know, Going back from your simple booze to deal with pain, you have still got painkillers which are allowed. Um, it's interesting to see like what determines which drugs you're allowed to take, and which ones you aren't allowed to take. The sort of the main sort of hit list at the moment, I guess, that you're not really allowed to take are uh, steroids, synthetic steroids that you, you were mentioning um, there, stimulants, um, and then these these things called EPOs, which I guess we'll we'll come on to when we when we visit cycling in a little bit more detail. Um, but but essentially a a hormone um, hormone style drug, and then you've also got the the sort of um, certainly in long distance events you've got sort of blood transfu- blood transfusions and stuff like that going on too. Um, but what's interesting is how we sort of think about this because certainly in a doping environment when you when you hear the word dope you don't necessarily think of sports such as the ones that we've all always, always covered in the news such as cricket football and rugby. We always just come back to athletics, some degree boxing, but certainly cycling um, yeah. and as a result, you see a lot more testing in those sports than you do in sort of football and cricket. I just wonder if um if there's anything anything in that why why it is that cycling has the biggest prevalence in in doping?
0: yeah. I think, yeah, we spoke a little bit about the software. I think for me it's that it's it's not a skilled game. So, you know, uh you or I could take loads of EPO and steroids and get pretty flipping good at cycling quite quickly. Um, but if I took loads of EPO and steroids, it wouldn't make me any good at football, I'd still be crap. Um so I think that's definitely that's definitely part of it. Um the other actually interesting angle to this, which I've just thought about, is that cycling is not a very commercially viable sport. as in, you don't make loads of money as a cyclist and you certainly didn't back in the day. So yeah, compared to say football, which everybody's made loads of money for many years, as we've debunked in the myth last time. Yeah. But, um yeah, it's interesting. that
1: the incentive to cheat is yeah, financially is potentially not, not as high. Exactly that. That's I think that sort of drives the question. The incentive to cheat is oh, be less cycling, okay, but it certainly should be the same across other sports to sort of want to take these drugs. If I'm a Rugby player, football player, and I'm you know I'm pretty decent at passing the ball. I'm not like a I'm not like a Messi or someone who's great finishing ability, but I'm a midfielder like a Cante who runs around the place. Surely there's a um, incentive for me to for me to dope, or perhaps yeah. the consequences of getting found out means you lose so much more in money. So this is
0: that's the other thing I was thinking is that maybe the disparity between the top and the bottom in football is actually smaller than the top and the bottom in say cycling. Do yeah. You have- in cycling to make money whereas in football you just have to play you have to, I mean, you have to be bloody good but like you know maybe that's part of it but you are absolutely right there is definitely athletics and cycling are where we see this not in as much in other sports
1: and it's certainly yeah it's certainly less so in athletics I mean hope, hopefully you don't hear any more stories about the likes of Usain Bolt and um, Mo Farah but Lance Armstrong was one of the biggest heroes pioneers of cycling ever and um, that documentary was just crazy. I don't know if you would have just talked about like a little bit of the history of cycling and, and doping and, and
0: him yeah. I mean, yeah. So just to touch on him, I mean, no, it's 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 well worth watching that documentary. It's fascinating. He's the worst man ever to live, in my opinion. Um, I have absolutely no sympathy for him. Um, I, there's a lot to his story though, because um, and just to touch on it very briefly, he came to cycling very relatively young. He was like eighteen, nineteen. He broke onto the scene suddenly did very very well but was an outstanding athlete anyway so was was like a junior triathlete champion he would enter triathlons against men at the age of 16 and beat them and i'm talking like ironman champs and stuff so he was an incredible competitor anyway then he does very well at cycling he then i can't remember if he started taking drugs at that point or not i think he does kind of get up to the next level to compete with the best then he gets cancer then uh he recovers from cancer comes back and still wins store de france and so there's a big story with him um, around his recovery from cancer, and obviously, the drugs have definitely helped him to he doped to get himself back for sure. Um, but it's worth watching as well. It's a very sad story in some ways because he's thrown a lot of people under the bus and pulled a lot of people down with him. Um, he's yeah. quite a selfish, selfish man. Um, not, I'm not a fan um, and don't think he should have any platform. Anyway, that's one for another podcast where i before I gone on and on. <laughs> but it's definitely worth, worth watching. I mean, and, and yeah just to talk about the scale of it he won seven tour de france which nobody had ever done before and all of them were stripped from him um and he said for years and denied it so probably what's the biggest case ever so i didn't mention it before because i knew we'd mentioned it but it's the biggest case ever but if we want to talk about cycling quickly cycling has a quite complicated uh relationship with this because it's actually been a very openly doped sport so um one example is Jacques Anquetil, who is one of the best. There's only four riders that have won the Tour de France five times, and he's one of them. He openly admitted in interviews regularly that he was taking drugs and that they were all taking drugs. So it's a very, very odd sport. Even though they were testing, they were still admitting that they were doing it. And he actually claimed that some of the races they did, so one is this Bordeaux to Paris race. He was like, you couldn't do that on water oh, and, and food alone. Um, and to be fair, the race was 560 kilometers in a day now that's obscene. Uh, The longest at the moment was last weekend, it's only 300k. So anyway, there's a very very complicated relationship with it and the first testing was on the tour in 1966 Um, and I mean every single famous cyclist has had a brush with drugs in that period. So Eddie Merckx, again the best cyclist ever they say, he tested positive for drugs multiple times And one of my favorite stories, which is, and I'll finish after this, is that Eric de who's quite a famous old pro, he never tested positive whilst competing, uh, but ended up going to rehab for an amphetamine addiction during his retirement, which I think is just. It's It's just crazy,
1: isn't it? Because there was no, as you say, there was that, that the relationship with drugs is so um, grey because it wasn't even illegal until the 60s, (laughs) is what what you're saying. and yeah, it's it's incredible. I think it comes back to the sort of point you mentioned there Eric Eric de Laming, if I've pronounced that correctly. Um, he, you know, getting treated for an addiction after retiring just goes to show that I think one of the conclusions we'll come on to is how this is probably a problem that won't go away um, because there's going to be the constant battle between um, creation and invention of ways to deceive. Um, the the drug authorities and actually the drug authorities been able to um, detect and and um, and find out if pe- people are taking the drugs. So you know, just coming on to um, yeah. sort of actual current day stats and whether, well, it's it's really quite hard to sort of you know debunk this myth in terms of statistically, like we were trying to do last week with the with yeah. the footballer piece. Um, but some of the stuff that I come across is the CIRC, which is the Cycling Independent Reform Commission, had varying degrees of sort of percentages of cyclists who actually dope. And I imagine, you know, back in the Lance Armstrong days, it was probably close to up to 100% that were doping. And anyone who was losing to Lance and claiming that he was doping was probably actually also doping, but just less good at it. That's Lance's arms. That's Lance's argument anyway. Yeah, but yeah. in their report, they they vary between some people saying 20%, you know, one in five of the team are doping, and some of them are saying 90%. And that was only in 2016. So the stats there are actually really supportive of, of the myth. And I think um, what we're what we're actually finding in in the same report is although the benefits of doping are decreasing, i.e. Because everyone's still really fit, and you can only take them in small, small increments. Ma- increments now. The days of like improving your performance in the Lance Armstrong days of like ten to twenty percent are over. Um, you know, you probably only get a two percent gain, but a two percent gain you're still getting. Um, according, according to the same report, in the 2011 World Championships in athletics, thirty percent of the athletes participated in that have admitted to using banned substances at least during their careers and um a different a different organization actually reports the numbers as 45 percent and that's actually just the people who are admitting it um which 45%. is
0: also, which that's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. i mean
1: we, we're trying to debunk these myths but we're really we're really struggling yeah. <laughs> we're
0: that's what that 45 is from wada and it's worth mentioning that's the world anti-doping agency and they're the people that police doping across all the sports um, Yeah.
1: But then I, I was just trying to trying to work out if there'd be any sort of, I mean, as you say, it's really tough with Lance Armstrong to have um, any sort of sympathy with him. And it's trying to work out why these guys do it. And what was actually interested, interesting is, especially after hearing your timeline of events, is this 1970s sort of study by um, a guy called Goldman was looking at a question. Basically, they interviewed a bunch of athletes, elite athletes, um, by um, a physician called Bob Goldman. And they basically ask athletes, if you were given a drug where you'd like Lance Armstrong, if you were given a drug and you were told you'd win your event, um, would you take it? On the cat and the catches, because obviously the answer to that would be probably yes amongst these guys so they've got no ethical ethical um ground. Grouch. Yeah. But the the catch is you'd have you, you would die after five years of taking it. So these guys <laughs> are thirty, twenty-five, whatever, and a According to the study, seventy percent oh sorry, fifty percent of people answering it said yes. So it's that sort of these guys, it is all their life. I know me and you talk about sport and love it, but this 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 is their life to win and to and to sort of win Tour de France's win it their profession. I think the number has since been revised down by sort of follow-up studies as um, things are, but I just found that's that mad. You were told you'd take a pill that you'd die in five years' time. It is mad, but I think this
0: actually brings out quite an important point, and that's that like taking these things doesn't just make you a winner overnight. You still have to train ridiculously hard. And I know I was joking. I was like, "Yeah, if you or I took it, we get good at cycling. We would, but we'd we'd be nowhere near them." And that's the thing about Lance, isn't it? Is that like he always said, like, "Well, I'm still the fittest. I still train the hardest." It's like, yeah, you probably do. To be fair. Um, and that's exactly it, and that's where that stat comes from. I think, and that they will do anything, literally anything, to win. Um, exactly. They've already done the hard work, so it's like, well, what gets them the extra ten percent?
1: Exactly that, and um, so that's why it's really tough to sort of find any any sort. Of, I mean, the evidence just keeps coming. So, like in the last three years, um, since the Athletics Integrity Unit was set up, sixty-six Olympic and world medalist, i.e. That's the people who are actually winning these things that you're sort of cheering and saying, "Well done," and and all the rest of it. Who are getting the records um, have served a doping and ban. Another 130, like for the normal inverted quotes, quotes, this is athletics again. Um, in the in the Diamond League circuit, have also been banned. There's about 200 oh, just in the last three years. Um, similar to the Tour de France, again 14 of the. 25 most recent winners have failed tests or confessed to have used doping, and that's just the ones again who have sort of been found or or are owning up to it. So it's 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 sort of a problem that, if anything, we're I don't know if it's a problem that's increased or just a problem coming back to that point about detection. We're seeing more of. Um, I know you 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 were picking up some of the points on Russia.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting actually because in my mind, I think well, there is less of it around, but. As in, it's less, it's not done by everybody as much as it was. Whereas I think back in the day, it was like for cycling, anyway, it was an entry requirement. Like You had to have your, <laughs> that, you wouldn't even gain that, you wouldn't even be able to keep up. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, the, Russia, the famous things in the news at the moment, well, not news, but I mean, the Russian Olympic team have <laughs> been banned, well, were, were found guilty of doping into the 2012 Olympics, 2014 Winter Olympics, and the 2017 Games. So they were banned from, Tokyo's Olympics, which is now, now, next year. Oh, no, no, this year, isn't it? This year in the summer. Yeah. And from the 2022 World Cup, which is interesting. So they've actually banned the team from uh, not just the tournament, they were banned in, if that makes sense. So um, that was quite interesting. Um, And just in the last week, actually, um, an ex-GB cycling doctor, Richard Friedman, has been banned from medical practice in the UK, or potentially internationally. Um, I was being found guilty of purchasing testosterone um, with the intent of giving it to an athlete, and the reason this is so big inside me, anyway, is that the athletes he was uh, the doctor for at the time were the likes of Chris Froome, Bradley Wiggins, Geron Thomas, Chris Hoy, uh, all, all, actually, the Chris Hoy all, the, all the all the all the GB guys, all the Tour guys, um, and some of them are still around. So. What happens with their records now, and why? Why was nobody in the team called to testify against him? All these sorts of things—very, very interesting. But yeah, as you say, it's still an issue.
1: And that's uh, a bit like um, yeah, there's a bit like Alberto Salazar that just sort of ends up making you question the actual athletes whether they're innocent or not. Which is a shame if they are innocent. But the, the more and more these things surface, it's a bit like Lance. The more and things, more things will surface, and you're like, there is just no smoke without fire. This However.
0: Is that, sorry. Sorry, that's sorry, as a question, I'd love to ask these guys: is who whose idea was it? Was it the doctor, or was it you, or
1: was it the coach? I'd love to know that. Because some of these it, people, I think are, it's I think it's a bit of everyone. I think it's a bit like the guys. The guys are probably like, "How can I win to so the doctor?" The doctor's like, "You can take this." Or how can I win to so the team? And yeah. The team like speaks to the doctor. So the doctor's like, "You need to take this." And it's just like a bit of a. It's like probably a bit of a a, a, a spiral or a cycle of just like yeah. a vicious like awful cycle to be in yes. but I mean yeah. to try and think about like ways we can try and debunk it I guess the only ways I was trying to think about it is cycling as you say has you know it used to be an entry requirement what we're seeing now is because of because of the Lance case and because of the doping authorities we're actually seeing less and less of it hopefully but what we are seeing is more and more detections there's sort of like a, a situation where like detected cases without being COVID style is is, inc- <laughs> is increasing but actual cases is going down um, and it's I'm hoping it's I'm hoping that's the case anyway and i um, hope hoping it's the case of Olympic with um, athletes too or Olympians um, and actually you know 196 athletes over a three-year period seems huge in the Olympics you have about 12,000 athletes um, yeah. Yeah. and track and field they are probably be about 2,000 so it's still a minor, minor proportion. Um, so is it is it just a case of a few ruining the thing a few ruining things for the many? That's the only way I can sort of try and try and provide any sort of debunk debunking. debunking.
0: I, think, I, I think that's definitely true though, because I think what we have moved on from is state sponsored sort of thing. So you don't you're not gonna get the Soviet Union like you have in the eighties where they were they were on like an actual programme or loads of athletes on a programme. I don't think well I mean, and Russia now. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. And where they were destroying samples and like actually fully fully cheating. I don't think that happens in the same way anymore. Um I think
1: actually, just as a product of like technology as well at the moment and more and more detection, I think it's just harder and harder for people yeah, to
0: do it. Sure. Although I did once I remember once asking like a some somebody's parent who's a doctor or somebody I know who's a doctor, um, you know, how possible is it to cheat and not get caught. And they were like, Well, look, if your doctor's good enough, you just stay ahead of the curve because that's how chemistry works is that you just have the next iteration of the of the drug and therefore that, the, test, the test isn't designed for that. So then you just keep moving it on. That's how it works.
1: I think that's the last conclusion that we're going to have is like, yes, these sports, unfortunately we, we won't be able to debunk the myth that yes, they are actually quite druggy sports, but hopefully it's a case of the minority, not the masses, but there's never, I think the issue is we're never going to see a situation whereby, um, it's completely wiped out. So just, just to ruin, just carry on with the metaphor. We're not going to reach COVID zero, zero COVID. No. I think we're just going to. I think we're just going to. I think we're just gonna continue because the the method of detection will just fall away as the method of invention continues to um, come up with new ways of cover. Which is such a constant battle, which we just seem to be on the losing side of things, which is gutting.
0: Yeah, it's it's sad. But I mean, as, as long as there are competitive people who will push the limits, that will have these sorts of no people will find any way around it, sadly.
1: Yeah, so that, that sort of brings up a couple of like anecdotal throwaways, just like things that I was thinking about were should we just have go back to the 60s, pre 1965 in cycling, and just say, fine, we appreciate Doping's going on, you guys can all have access to all the joys you want there'll be about, I don't know, a thousand doctors who can go about doing it because they're all specialists and there's all good enough money in the field for it. Um, Should we just say, listen, all you cyclists, train the the same, all take the same drugs, work on the same cocktail of drugs that works for you, and whoever wins, wins, and that's fine.
0: I would love to see it. I'd love to see how quick we could run 100 metres. What is the human limit? (laughs) The problem is, is, like, somebody would die, as in it it would kill someone. you you just push your body too far like the body is made to do what the body's made to do right
1: yeah exactly that And i think you're just sending the complete wrong message of what sport's about (laughs) yeah it it becomes it becomes then all about a i'd appreciate there is a science on sport but it becomes more about like the cocktail of drugs you're taking at what times as opposed to the technique of going out hard. I don't know. I just, something, yeah, something really doesn't sit right
0: like that. I'd be worried about your five-a-side team. I'd be worried about you taking drugs, mate. Might lose exactly.
1: Where do you draw the line? I mean, what happens? You know? It's a gateway drug. It is. <laughs> You'll be finding sports stars out in, out in crack <laughs> Oh,
0: I love it. Maybe that's, maybe that's how we solve the, 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 the heroin pandemic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's a real tough one. And unfortunately, I don't think we've got the stats to sort of debunk it, but we're just going to have to say it. it's a myth we've visited. And it's a myth that, unfortunately, there's, there's an element of truth in.
0: Exactly, exactly. And I just actually just note something you've written on the bottom, which I think is certainly true. Using supplements is a thing in sport, professional sport now. People take protein, creatine, all these sorts of vitamins, extra vitamins. You know, I know there, there is a definite line with doping, and it is a very clear legal line, but still this is how these people are made. You know, they, they have to optimize your intake.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That. I mean, what's the difference between a footballer taking, taking you know, the, the recovery drinks they take after a game? I mean, there's obviously a clear difference, but in someone, could, someone, could make a fear, someone could make a clear argument that you're still putting something into your body that is improving performance, improving recovery. What is the difference?
0: Maybe every team should have the same recovery drink, same
1: water at the same time. <laughs> That's, the That's the thing. That is the thing, yeah. There's always going to be a bit of bias in sport. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, at the end of this episode, I feel we just haven't quite... Not the the huh? No,
0: it's very more interesting, but not as satisfying as the football one.
1: Exactly. Exactly, that.
0: But yeah. I hope that was interesting
1: exactly that yeah so um, I think that draws the end of, of the episode three we'll, we'll come back hopefully with another myth that we can hopefully debunk sometime soon we'll pick an easy one next time
0: like can Char never win the FA Cup no no <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually already won it mate so oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway brilliant cheers we'll, we'll, we'll be waiting waiting for the call up as always cheers